The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn Fall on your knees Oh, hear the angel voice time tell Michael and the band thank you for leading us today well we are just a few days away four days away to Christmas and it's almost here and everyone is counting down and here's what I know you got a list right and and you're making a list of all these things that you need to do and you need to accomplish and you need to check off by Christmas And, and if you're uh, like my wife, I mean, you got to run like a hamster in a wheel, right, to get all of this done. And then on Christmas, somehow you can rest and you can take, you know, a moment and, and catch your breath. Uh, but even if you don't have a list, some of you are opposed to lists. And even if you don't have a list, uh, you've been thinking about it for days. And let's just let a type A personality help you for a second. Make a list. And uh, a lot of the stress will run away when you see it on, on paper and you make the list. And so today as your pastor, I just want to help you out, okay? And, and so I've given you space on the front of your page today. Just make a list. Go ahead, right now. 
Okay, you're thinking about it anyways. Go ahead and take a minute, fill that out. All the things you got to do today, all the things you got to get on the way home, all, where you're going to go to lunch, and all of just make your list, okay? Because I want you to listen in a moment. I want you to hear the message. It's good. And I want you to dive into the scripture with me today. It's amazing. And uh, I want you to get to the place where you can stop thinking about it. And while you make your list, I made a list based on my comments I made last week related to going to the mall. And uh, uh, we got a lot of comments back about my visit to the mall. In fact, we found out the red Mercedes goes to Midtown. And uh, that the the engineer uh, that designed the mall parking lot went to our church until last week. And so we found out a lot of things. And and so I made another trip to the mall this week against my better judgment. But the only reason I went to the mall was because Apple is in the mall. If I were the mall listing agent, I would pay Apple rent because the only reason a cat like me goes to the mall is because Apple is there. And the only reason I fought the traffic and parked across the street at Old Navy to walk to the mall because of the parking scenario and the disaster and all of that, uh, it's just a mess. I've made some rules, okay? As a public servant, I felt it was my duty. My comments last week did not fix it. So I wanna fix it today. And so I just wanna give you a couple of rules in the mall parking lot. Rule number one, you are not allowed to back into a space. Forget it. You can't do it. I know you think you can, but you can't. And the crowd that I'm talking to, you know who I'm talking to because the side of your car looks like it made out with a shopping cart. I'm, you know who I'm talking to. Quit. I know you think you're saving time on the way out and all of that. You're not saving time. I watched The Hobbit waiting on you to get that car in that spot. <laughs> Quit. Just pull in and risk it on the way out. Rule number two is this. Once you get in the car, you don't know this rule, so I, I, I just want to help you with it. Once you get in the car, you got 30 seconds to get you behind out of that spot. 30 seconds. And, and just in case you don't know this rule, here's how it works. When the first child gets in the car, the cock starts. Okay? And so if the rest of them don't make it in, leave them. My mom did that with me. That's what made me who I am today. I'm just encouraging you. Just go on and teach them that you got to hustle and get in uh, the car. The third rule, don't park your giant SUV in the compact space. Okay, just don't do that. I saw a guy the other day that escalated in the compact space, and and the smart car guy was so mad, he just pulled up in the trunk. And and so a couple other thoughts, just a few quick ones. Motorcycles, you don't get your own spot. Okay, you cannot take it. Y'all share one. Okay, so put all the motorcycles or park on the side. I don't know why you'd want to park so far away as anyway. Nobody cares. Just park it by the door. Put the motorcycle up there, uh, loading the trunk. Okay, this is my greatest pet peeve. Loading the trunk and going back into the mall? No. It is not your school locker that you can go back and forth to. And don't give me that wave like I'm not leaving. Okay, I got to wait for you. Don't do that. All right. You, put, you leave when you put your stuff in the car or carry it around in the mall, all right? And then the last one, I would just say this. Clergy parking and expectant mother spots, absolutely. It, it is allowed, okay? And, and so, uh, and for those of you, if, if you'll follow those rules, we'll have a delightful next four days if you venture out into the mall, all right? Everyone finished with your list, okay? You got it, now lay it aside and, and let's rest and take a moment. Doesn't that feel better? To get that off your chest, I feel better getting that off my chest as I vomited on you all of the rules. Listen, I want you to realize something today as the lead into Christmas. We've all got lists, everyone around you, and you need to resist the temptation to think that you're the only one with a list, right? And that you're the only one that has things to get done. Everybody has to do that. And so for a few moments this morning, take a deep breath, stop, rest, Take a break from all your to-dos and your agendas, and, and let's move in today. In fact, that's one of the greatest things about Christmas and the Christmas story is that it is about peace. It's about peace on earth and, and our time uh, to, to live in the peace of Jesus Christ that we gain when we come to a relationship with him. And, and it may be a break from our agendas and to-dos and all the busyness that the culture tries to throw in on us at this time. And, and if you want the Christmas story, here's what you do. You do what I do in my home. You open to Matthew, right? Or you open to Luke. Those are the ones that all the good stuff is found in related to the Christmas story. It's in those two that we read about Joseph 
And we read about Mary, right, which we talked about. That's where you read about the donkey. That's where you read about Bethlehem and the manger and all the animals that have come. And, and that's where you read about the shepherds who were watching their fields at night. And that's where you read about the wise men who came with the gold and frankincense and myrrh and all the little details that make up the little figurines in your nativity sets. That's where we find that is in Matthew and in Luke, the Christmas Gospels. But there are two other Gospels, right? And if you read Mark, he just skips the whole Christmas story altogether. I mean, I think Mark is ADD. He was in a hurry in the way he jumped straight to and Jesus was walking along by the river, right? I mean, he didn't even mention anything about the birth of Jesus. And Mark's Gospel is the quick and to the point Gospel. And if you're in a hurry, that's where you go, right? But then there's John's Gospel, my personal favorite. John's gospel, the audience is the church, the New Testament church, the local church, and he's writing to the church, and there's not much of the Christmas story in there, right? Because there's no pregnant Mary, there's no trip to Bethlehem, there's no manger. But here's the thing, John does give us a Christmas story. And in fact, it's amazing, and it's a great Christmas story. It's just not what you would expect when you think of the Christmas story. But, but what, what we've been about this whole series is the unexpected playing out at Christmas, and everyone expects at Christmas for us to read the Christmas story at church, right, and to preach the Christmas message. That's kind of tricky, by the way, for pastors, that, that you come to Christmas and you come to Easter, and you're like, what are you going to teach, you know, this Easter? Jesus resurrected, right? And what are you going to teach this Christmas? Jesus in a manger. And it always comes back to that. And, and you, you know, you want something good, and so we give you something good, but you know how it's going to end. And there's no guessing, right? It's going to end with Jesus in the manger. It's so expected. But when you really dive into the Gospels, into the Christmas story, uh, even though it's so very well known, there is a bunch of unexpected. And it's full of the unexpected. A few weeks ago, we read from Luke. And we looked at it from Mary's perspective and we said, Mary, she had all of these expectations of a certain life and maybe a certain home, but she got an unexpected visit from an angel. His name was Gabriel, right? And he gave her this message and she got an unexpected pregnancy, which had to have all kinds of challenges and problems associated with that. But there were also, as we looked, all kinds of blessing that go along with that as well. And then last week we looked at Matthew and we looked at the Christmas story and the unexpected news from Joseph's perspective. And if you weren't here last week, men, if you weren't here last week, I just want to say go back and watch it. Go online and watch it. Get the podcast. Buy the CD. But even if you were here, I would encourage you to get a copy of it because in our culture today, listen to me, it is so important for our culture to be filled with men who are full of hope. And for our culture to be filled with men who are full of courage. We need men in our culture full of courage. But this week, we're going to do the unexpected, and we're going to turn to John 1. So if you've got your Bible, go to John 1, and we're going to look at the Christmas story from the Father's perspective, from God Almighty, uh, the Father's perspective. And I want to begin in, in John chapter 1. And th this Christmas story, well, when you think of Christmas story, here's what you think of. You think that's the story of Jesus being born, right? That's Christmas, Jesus being born. But when you look at John's gospel and you really think through it from God's perspective, Christmas is really about the story of how God came to earth, how the Son of God came to this planet. And John is focusing in his gospel on the behind the scenes and you're pulling the curtain back and you are looking at the theology of it and you're looking at the fact that God was involved from the very beginning. In fact, let's look at John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he, he's talking about Jesus here. The word, in case you're new to Bible study, is Jesus. And he goes all the way back. He goes way back before Bethlehem. And he goes way back before the manger. And he's telling us he was with God and he was God. And he uses that phrase, in the beginning. So he's jumping Genesis 1-1, right? Which a great study for you to ponder and for you to think through is, is Genesis 1-1, is that the beginning? Because it's not the beginning in case you're wondering. That's the beginning of our story, and it's the beginning of people being included in God's story, but that's not the beginning. God is way bigger and goes way further than Genesis 1-1. That's the beginning of our story. It's the beginning of the creation of the world, and what John is telling us here is that Jesus was in the beginning. 
that he was with God and he was, with, he was God. And in case you're wondering, Christmas is not about Jesus showing up on the scene. Jesus has always been on the scene. He's always been a part of what is and what was and what is to come. And that word there in the Greek is the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. And the idea of logos or word, uh, it's not unique to John. In other words, John did not make that up. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's all throughout the prophets. The psalmist used the word word as a way to describe God and a way to describe the power of God. Look at verse two. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, Jesus was all in and all about creation. He was extremely present in creation. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And when you read that, you think, okay, he's shining his light into the darkness. From God's perspective and from heaven's perspective, it was all dark. You say, well, surely there were good people, and surely there were people that, uh, you know, that were trying to do it right. And, and what I'm saying to you is, no, from God's perspective, it was all dark. And he shined the light into the darkness. Last week, I got asked the question about, what about all the good people in the world who, who may have not heard the gospel or may never hear the gospel? And I just got to say to you, there aren't any good people. That, that is not the way you and I are created. When you understand the theology of Scripture, you and I are born apart from a relationship with God as sinners, separated from God, separated from the holiness of God. That's how we're born. And, and so the bottom line is, is until we come into a relationship with Jesus, we're not good, right? That, that is not who we are. We are sinners. We don't sin uh, and become sinners. We are sinners. Consequently, we sin. And I want you to think about reading that scripture, John 1, for the very first time without the background of the Christmas story. And maybe you're here today at one of our churches and you are reading those words for the very first time. How I wish I knew who you were and could pull you up here and just interview you for a moment and have a conversation with you reading John 1 for the very first time. Here's the question I want to ask you. What do you think about when you read that text and when you read that scripture, that that simple word logos, that he is with God, he is God, and he created everything that has ever been created. Now, remember this concept of logos or word. It's not unique to John. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all ever present in Judaism, but it also existed outside of the faith as well. If you study Greek philosophy, you read about the logos. It's all throughout philosophy, this divine word that would one day be revealed to all mankind. But they expected something completely different than what really happened. They expected a God uh, completely detached from humanity and separate from humanity. But look how God meets their expectations with uh, the unexpected. Look at, jump down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Christmas, right? That he became flesh. And, and you think through that, that God, when he entered the world in the person of Jesus, he came in a borrowed manger. And when he left this world, he left in a borrowed tomb, indicating he wasn't staying for long anyways. That was not his purpose. It was not his plan. But he came as the suffering servant and he came to die for me and you. And God is not some detached philosophical concept. He became flesh that he put on human skin and he walked around with us on earth. John, uh, the writer of the gospel, he didn't just write John. He also wrote 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and Revelation. He needed help with the titles, but he did write all of that, right? And, and as you look through this, he wrote all of those. And 1 John is a letter written by the same guy, this John, the apostle. And in that book, 1 John, he talks about the one Jesus. And he says, this is the one that we saw with our own eyes. He is the one that we touched with our own hands. That God, existing as a real live human being in our space, walking around on this planet. And that is so amazing and it's so unexpected. And no other God would ever want to do that. But our God did that. And there were some in Jesus' day, when you look at the Bible, that were expecting the Messiah. 
And they were expecting Jesus to come. And they're waiting for this Messiah to show up. But in a very different way, they were expecting him to come. And God looked down on all the world, over all the world, and he chose two, Mary and Joseph, to be the parents of his son, to take care of his son. I don't know if you've thought through what you would do if something happens to you and and something happens to the two of you, right, and, and your children, what's going to happen to them and where are they going to be left and who's going to care for them and you've done all the legal work and the trust and all of that. I don't know if you've done all of that or not. Uh, this week I was at the hospital two or three times visiting Ashley Osborne who's on our staff and has come on our staff and back on our staff uh, from Willow in Chicago. They were there and now she's uh, running all the production on our church and her little boy Charlie is two and he's not well and if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter you've seen that and I've asked you to pray and and uh, ask you to care for them and minister to them. And you ought to take them meals or gift cards for meals and, and bless them in all likelihood, short of a miracle, they will be there uh, on Christmas and, and throughout the Christmas week. That Tomorrow will be two weeks that they were there. But they, they also have a little girl named Lucy. She's one of my favorite children. And, and she is just full of life. And every time she sees me, she hugs me. And she, it's been a long time since I've seen you. You know, like a day, you know, and... and and she's just dramatic and full of drama. And, and she was asking Ashley, hey, Ashley, or mommy. She said, mom, I don't think she said Ashley, mom. What's your plan? Something happens to you and dad for me and Charlie. What, what is your plan? And, and Ashley went on to explain, well, your cousin uh, and her husband. And they're going to be the ones to take for you. And Ashley looks at her, puts her hands on her hips and says, that's your plan? That's your backup plan? And Tracy, by the way, the cousin was there in the room when, when this was being explained in great disgust. Uh, when she said, what about money? You know, and what about Nana and Papa and all? And she went into this whole discussion. I don't know what your plan is for your children, but you think through this children. Now think through this. If you're going to pick somebody to take care of your children, what criteria would you choose? Right? I mean, I think we all would get in the same target if we started picking these things. We would want a good, stable home, right? We would want a good, stable marriage, and, and truth be known, we would want to know that these people can take care of our children financially, right? That Could we take a look-see at the W-2 kind of deal, right? That, that's always awkward. Can, can we look? And, you know, maybe a pay stub would be sufficient, but we want them to be able to pay and to take care of them, right? Because our children like to eat, and we need to buy food and we need to buy clothes and, we, and all of that. But who did God pick? And we've looked at that. He chose Mary and Joseph, a couple of kids on earth without a lot in this world to call their own. And, and think through this. If you're choosing not just for somebody to take care of your kid, but you're choosing for somebody to take care of the Messiah and the king of kings. You would want the best of the best for them, right? You would want the best home. You would want the best education. You would want to make sure they get the best teachers and the best tutors and make sure they get the best meals and the best nutrition. And you would want to make sure they got all of the advantages that this earth has to offer. And you would make sure of that. And you would see two of that. You would see that the world would be expecting a Messiah who's going to be born in a palace. But instead, they got a king born in a barn to humble parents. And you would expect the world that is expecting this great man who had all of the advantages, but they got a little baby that we would lean into that baby. And the religious leaders were expecting a ruler to come who would cast out the Romans and, you know, would crush the Romans. But they got a humble servant who would end up dying for our sins. Back up from verse 14 to verse 11. And look at verse 11 as he says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In other words, he came to a people that should have recognized him and should have received uh, him. And, and, but because they were expecting something entirely different, they missed out. And they missed out on the Son of God. They rejected him. And in fact, they turned him over to the Romans because he's not the one that was coming to crush the Romans. And they watched as he was killed on a tree, a cursed death. Theologically, anyone who dies on a tree, it is a cursed death. And Jesus died on that tree, which, by the way, is the tree of Christmas. That nowhere in the New Testament are we encouraged, implored uh, to go back and memorize or to remember or to reflect on the birth of Jesus. But over and over and over as children of God, we are implored to go think on the death 
of Jesus. And the tree uh, that he died on is the thing that we remember, the cross of Jesus Christ. And those who did recognize him and those who did believe him, what happened to them? Look at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Question for you today. What, what are you expecting this Christmas? What did you come here today expecting? Are you looking for a God who will meet your every desire and your every need like a big fat Santa Claus who better answer your prayers or else you're going to stop believing in him? God's going to bring you the unexpected this Christmas. I want you to hear me that when I say that, that, that maybe you're here and you're expecting on the other end, the other bookmark and, or, or bookend, a God who is mean or a God who is uncaring because the only picture you've ever had of God in your mind is this detached, mean, uncaring, angry God. But three chapters later in, in the book of John, he tells us in the very words of Jesus that he did not come to condemn this world, but he came to bring it back to life. That's why he came. And so God is coming to do something unexpected in every one of your lives. And he wants to meet you right where you are. What, what happens when we receive him and what happens when we believe in him as he is instead of how we expect him to be. Look at verse 12 again. What is it that in this verse God has promised to those who believe in him? Is it the promise that you're going to go to heaven one day? That's true, but that's not in that verse, right? Is the promise that you're going to be the spiritually mature person and you're going to get all this spiritual insight from God when you walk with him? It's true, but it's not in that verse. The promise in this verse is that you and I get to be the children of God. That we get to come into his family and we get to be a part of his family. That God came to earth and he chose to dwell right here on this planet with us. And he made a home with us here on earth. And then he invites us in. And he wants us, me and you, to be a part of his family. Isn't that great? That is the good news of the gospel. Who would have expected that? And who would have been ready for that message? That the message that was expected is, here's the king. He's going to crush the Romans. Or, or here's, here he comes, this mean, angry God. You better watch out for him. But instead, the message we receive is he wants us. And he wants us in his family. What, what do you want for Christmas this year? What, what's at the top of your list? I recently read an article by Fox News, and they did the most wanted Christmas gifts of the last 50 years. Let's just jog your memory for a second and, and see if you remember any of these things. Raise your hand on all of our churches today if you remember Cabbage Patch dolls. Let me see your hand, okay? How many of you had a Cabbage Patch doll, okay? A bunch of you had the Cabbage Patch doll. I remember, it was crazy. You went shopping with a baseball bat to get a Cabbage Patch doll because these things went crazy. I, when I was in North Carolina, I remember we looked in multiple states because my sister is 10 years younger than me. So this was early 80s, I guess. And, and she wanted the Cabbage Patch doll and we hadn't found one. And my mom was all over my dad about, you. why didn't you find one? And, and this whole story, I remember this. And, and we were driving and we were in North Carolina and, and we thought we could find them there because those people are a little slower, right? And, and, and maybe we could catch up and can get it. And, and that's where my mom's family's from. And, and, and so I love you, by the way. And, and I know you're watching today and you're my favorite. <laughs> but I remember the radio announcer. Listen to what I remember. The radio, the, the radio announcers in North Carolina got in trouble because as a joke, they were just completely kidding. They said the makers of the Cabbage Patch Dolls have mercy on our county because we sold out so quickly that they are going to fly a helicopter over the high school football stadium and they're going to dump Cabbage Patch Dolls out. <laughs> And in like 1982, they said, and they have the technology to scan your credit card. You just hold it up and they will drop a doll for you. So nobody, none of these radio announcers believed that anybody would believe them, but they got in big time trouble when 30,000 people showed up at the local high school field to get these Cabbage Patch dolls. Anybody remember, this is a little more recent in the 90s, Tickle Me Elmo? Anybody remember that one? I can remember playing with Ben with the Tickle Me Elmo and making up raps, you know, Tickle Me Elmo, Tickle Me Elmo, tick, 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 tick. And, and, and now we wonder why Ben is, you know, off the charts, ADD. But, but this is the way I raised him. They retailed for $28.99, and people were selling those dolls for $5,000. 
And if you were one of the ones who did that, I'm sure you're still in counseling, right? Because you totally regretted it five minutes later uh, paying that. Let me, let me take you to another one that you may remember because uh, this was late 90s. The Beanie Babies. Anybody remember that one? This one blows my mind. Of all of them, it blows my mind. In fact, I remember making fun of my friend's mom, your mom, and, 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 and talking to her because and, and, she bought into the deal that day that these Beanie Babies were an investment. When she used the word investment with me about a stuffed animal, I almost fell out of my chair. I was laughing so hard because here was the ploy. I don't know who created this, but the marketing people were genius. They said, you pay 15 bucks for this, you put it in the closet, and 15 years later you sell it for 15 grand and pay off your mortgage. Anybody did that? The bat, remember the bat was like worth 150 grand. And one day you would be able to, you know, buy a home with this little stuffed animal bat. I've seen them at garage sales. You can't even give those things away anymore. <laughs> Please just take them, right? You can have anything else at the garage sale. Just take the box of Beanie Babies with you. Those things we want that were right at the top of all of our Christmas lists very quickly. Let's just be honest. Very, very quickly. They end up not mattering. And they end up collecting dust and the things we were racing after. But I, what I want you to hear today is this. God has a list and he has a wish list for Christmas. And all he wants for Christmas is you. And he goes about it in the most unexpected way. Go back to verse 14 and let's look again at how God goes about this thing. And the word became flesh. In your Bible, write Genesis 1-1 there. Because this is about the beginning. But I also want you to write Philippians 2. And I want you to go back to the Christus Psalm that, that talks about Jesus being equal with God, did not equate being equal with God as something to grasp or to hold on to. But he came and he humbled himself and he became flesh and, and he dwelt on earth and then he died at the bottom of the ditch on a cross for me and you. And that at that, God gave him a name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue and every tribe and every nation on earth and in heaven will worship him. And he is lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father. And that descent and ascent is found all throughout the theology of the New Testament and it's ever present right here in John chapter one. It became flesh and dwelt his, or, or made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the glory of God, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father who was full of grace and full of truth. For years, I've been thinking about doing a series called You're Full of It. And it is an amazing phrase in the New Testament. Because every time it talks about Jesus and every time it talks about God and it uses that phrase, full of, it's grace, it's truth, it's mercy. Nowhere do you read, and he was full of anger. Or he was full of justice. He's a just God, but you don't read. He was full of justice. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And the whole idea of God coming to earth, living with his people is not, by the way, completely unique to Christianity. There's all kinds of stories about other gods, little G gods who, who came down and dwelled with man. But none of those stories ever seem to end really well, right? I mean, you read those stories and eventually that God, that little God gets jealous or he gets mad or he becomes bored with people and he usually ends up destroying all of mankind, which is a very nice story, right? And, and you read that, but God, our God, he comes in a different unexpected way and he becomes flesh. And he, he doesn't just look human, he is human. And he doesn't just sort of experience human life. He is one of us. And this isn't a mirage and it's not a mistake and it's not some sort of a dream that we wake up from. This is God Almighty really taking on human flesh and becoming a human being and that he chooses to live with us and he chooses to walk with us and he chooses to be with us. It's remarkable. And, and by the way, God chose to do that a long time ago. That was not a moment he woke up after 400 years of silence in the Old Testament thought, let's send Jesus. That's a good idea. I wish I'd thought of that earlier. That is not the way it played out. He had thought of that a long time ago. You see it hinted at all throughout the Old Testament. Remember when the Hebrew children were going to be rescued by God and he sent Moses to go get them and and they fled out of Egypt and they came to this great mountain. And at that mountain, remember Moses would scale the mountain and he would climb up the mountain and he would meet with God. 
And he got to see God face to face. And it was to Moses that God would give the law. And he, he gave all the Ten Commandments. And he gave him instruction on how to, how to teach worship. And then he would climb down the mountain and he would tell the people. And, and you know, the, the rest of them were down there. And it was God up there on the mountain and the rest of the people down uh, at the bottom of the mountain. And so one day God says, Moses, come on up here, right? And, and Moses climbs the mountain and says, yes, God, what is it? And God says, I want you to start building a tent. To which Moses thought, well, a tent? Okay, God, I, why, why would I build a tent? And don't worry, I'm going to give you all of the instructions, very explicit instructions, Moses. But okay, God, why, why would I build a tent? Write this reference down. Don't go look at it because we don't have time, but just write it down. Exodus 25, verse 8. That's where God says to Moses, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary. Listen to this phrase. So I can live among them. All the way back with Moses, it's in the heart of God. So I can live among them. And that phrase in the Hebrew language, live among them. In the Old Testament, if you're not a Bible student, listen. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek originally. But there was a point at which scholars came along and they took the Hebrew Old Testament and they translated it to Greek. We call that the Septuagint. And when they translated the Hebrew into Greek, they used the exact same Greek word there in Exodus 25 as is used in John chapter 1, verse 14. When God wrote, he became flesh and lived among us. And the idea that God wants to live with us and the idea that he wants to be with us and that he actually wants to be one of us, that idea started a long time ago. And you can see it hinted at in a tent and in a tabernacle and in a sanctuary and that they carried around and lugged around with them everywhere they went in the desert to set it up so that they could meet with God. But here's the difference. In the Old Testament, there was this barrier and the barrier was that when God wanted to talk to the people, he had to call Moses up on a mountaintop. Or the people had to go into a tent, but only the priest could go into the tent and into a room because in the back of the tent, there was a special room in the tent called the Holy of Holies. And one guy once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, could go into that place and could meet with God. And the barrier in the Old Testament was this law. And the barrier today is sin. We have sin in our lives that separates us from God. And all of the law was there to point to all of the flaws and all of the sin and all of the sins. And that's why you and I are separated from God. Because God said, hey, don't do this stuff. And then everyone, everywhere did this stuff. And if you want to get right with God in that system under the law, you have to obey it all. Flip over to Romans 10. I just want to show you something. We don't have all the time in the world, but so flip fast. Romans chapter 10. And, and if you are a Bible student, listen, you know the verse 9 and 10 in Romans 10, right? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I want to take you to the verses just before that. And in Romans chapter 10 and verse 5, listen to what Paul tells us. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all. Say all. To all of its commands. All of its commands. A-L-L, capital A-L-L. You can't leave any out. But here's the problem. And here's the barrier. We can't do all of the law. And we can't do all of the uh, rules. It, it is impossible to keep every one of those commandments. And so instead, God had this plan. And his plan was simple. No more lists. No more climbing up that mountain to hear from God and meet with God. Look, look at the next verse, verse 6. But faith's way of getting right with God says, Don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven in fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. I want you to pay attention. It's not in your hand. It is 
on your lips and it is in your heart. In other words, it is right here and it is so close. It's right here at your heart. It's not in your hands of what you have to do for God. All the stuff you have to do to live up to the standard. No, it's not out here in your hand. It's in your heart to believe and to turn to God and to follow after him. And a couple of chapters after John chapter 1, John writes his most famous verse, maybe the whole Bible's most famous verse in chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's his Christmas present to us. That whoever believes in him, which is all we have to do, right? Believe in or believe on him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Listen, how simple this is. The gospel is so very, very simple. God loved and God gave. We believe and we have. It's that simple. It is so simple and it is so easy and yet we mess it up over and over and over again because we expect God to have this high, high standard that if I can't live up to it, then he's done with me. And then he doesn't want anything to do with me at that moment. But we think we have to climb up to that mountain. And somehow we have to be as holy as Moses is to get in front of God and to be before God and to have a relationship with God. But listen to me, since he came down to us, we don't have to climb up anymore. That's what makes Christmas unexpected. Listen, it's not all the details that makes Christmas unexpected. It's not even the virgin birth. It's not the shepherds and it's not the angels. What really made it unexpected was that God wants to live with us. Let me just repeat that for you again. God wants to be with us and he wants to live with us. God came down to us and he is here with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is simply abide in him. Abide means stay close. Listen, Jesus associated with us. He didn't imitate us. He came and got close to us. And so our response to him is not this imitation thing. It is, we can't. It is about associating with Jesus and staying close to Jesus and abiding with Jesus. And so our response needs to be this association, not this imitation thing that I'm going to try to act like that. I'm going to let him do it in me so that I can have this thriving, healthy, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants. And that's all he wants for Christmas. The idea of the Christmas list. I love the idea. I just confess, I love the idea of a Christmas list. When I was a child, it, it was different. We, we were allowed to, to just have fun. Okay, and we didn't Christianize everything and church it up. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was just, just a thought. We just had fun, right? We got to go knock on doors on October the 31st and get candy. And it was just all about fun. It didn't involve the devil at all right? It, it was just moving around and ha having fun. Christmas, we were allowed to make lists, wish lists. I don't know if you did that. I did that. My parents told me, make a wish list. And we went and got the Sears catalog and the JCPenney's catalog. And we got all, and we just started flipping through pages and we would make lists. I didn't even know what I would want. But I got to go through the exercise of going, if the dreams came true and I got to get everything out, what would I list on the list? And my dad encouraged us to do that. And some of you know, my dad is full-blooded Egyptian. He is as tight as anybody you've ever met. The Grand Canyon was formed when my dad dropped a nick on a gopher hole. <laughs> what, what I want you to hear, listen, I didn't get everything I wanted. But I got to have fun with the list and, and figure this thing out and walk through the process of making the wish list. And it was fun. I remember my friends getting everything they wanted and my dad just saying, yeah, they'll be sorry. But it's a fun exercise for you to go through this process. I, I don't know if you've seen Pinterest. I, I, I'm not all that jazzed up about some of the stuff I read on Pinterest, quite honestly. And if I was not a pastor, I, I would just respond you know, to some of this stuff. But, but I saw this on Pinterest a few weeks ago. Look at this. This is what they're teaching children. These women are teaching Christian women to teach their children to ask for for Christmas so that these kids can be godly kids who appreciate that not everybody in the world has everything they want. That you ask for one thing you want, one thing you need, one thing you wear, and one thing you read. That's cuckoo. <laughs> Listen to me. That's crazy. What kind of kids you want to raise teaching them to ask for books? 
that's not healthy. Hear me. Listen, I'm not the smartest pastor in town, but I am the coolest. And I'm saying to you, don't do that to your children. That's weird. You're going to raise weird, weird Christian kids. who They will never lead anybody to Jesus because nobody will ever get close to them. Make the wish list. It's just fun. It's just fun. Why? Because here's what happens, and you know this is true. And I don't know at what age this happens, but it does happen. Maybe around 30. The list switches, right? And all of a sudden, it's to-do list. It's not a wish list anymore. And responsibility has to kick in. And now you've got this to-do list, and it's duty, and it's not joy. And it's get everything done or Christmas just won't be good or it'll just be awful for the children. And, and the children will be in counseling forever because their clothes didn't coordinate in the Christmas photo and, and all of that. And it's just, it's burdensome. And verse 14 of John chapter one flies in the face of that philosophy of just get it all done. Flies in the face of that. Because those lists and those to-dos, here's what happens to them. They don't stay out there. They seep into our spiritual life. And as they seep into our spiritual life and they seep into our spirit, what happens is we end up trading joy for duty. And we trade intimacy for a to-do list. And I got to do this and I got to act this way and I got to not do that. And if I want God to love me, then I got to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I want you to hear me today. What Christmas says, louder than anything else, it says this. He already loves you. And he already gave his life for you. And what he wants for Christmas is you. In fact, here's what I want you to do. And this is going to make the type A's in the room so very nervous. I want you to take that list you made a moment ago. Everybody, just take it. Every campus, just hold that list up that you made a moment ago. Just hold it up. Come on, Melissa. I see your foot shaking. Hold the list up. Watch. Rip it up. Just tear it up. Let me hear it. All the campuses, let me hear it. Just tear it up. And some of you are going to strategically tear it in such a way you can put it back together later. I get you. I am you. Here's what I want to show. God ripped up the to-do list in our lives when he sent Jesus. And when God stepped out of heaven and into human flesh, he is, listen to what he said. You can't, but I will. And I'm going to die for you. And he gave the best Christmas gift ever. What do you do when you get a gift? You have to earn it to get it. No, you you just receive it, right? And if you're here today and you've never received the gift of salvation, the free gift of salvation, you you can do that today. And I want to help you do that. In fact, on all of our campuses, would you just stand for closing prayer together? Let's all stand together. And as you bow your heads and close your eyes, let me just say to you today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to help you take that step. And if you're a believer, you're praying for those around you who may need to do just that. Right where you're standing, on any of our campuses today, or maybe you're watching on the internet, you're online. Would you just pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Come into my life to be my Lord. You come call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior, my forgiver. The best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you for saving me. I receive the gift of Christmas. Jesus. Salvation. Before I say amen, let me just pray for the rest of us. Some of us in this room, we tore that list up and we think, ah, I took a picture of it with my phone. I still got it. 
I, I just want to say to you, that's fine. But the incarnation of God, God coming to live with us and becoming man, dwelling with us, means all we have to do is abide and stay close to Him. And maybe you believed that a long time ago. And maybe you came to Christ a long time ago. But somewhere you've slipped. You've slipped into that to-do list mentality with God. And I want you today to get the gift of freedom from that this Christmas. Would you just say, God, I receive freedom. And I receive rest that comes in the ministry of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And if you're here today, before I say amen and before we look up and you say, hey, I just prayed to receive Christ or I need to pray to receive Christ or I need somebody to pray with me or I need somebody to pray for me, I just want you to step out on your campus and go to the back of the room. Just go out the back door of the room and there will be men and women there. There will be staff members and volunteers there who will meet you and there's a little room there and I'll meet you there in a few minutes. And we want to pray with you and we want to encourage you. But if you've got some need, you've got some need for ministry in your life, you need prayer or you want to just be prayed for or with, then just step out right now and say, excuse me, make your way down the aisle and out the back door of your campus. And there are men and women that will help you there. And you say, I wonder if people are going. Listen, we're one church with a bunch of campuses. People are going. And so right where you are, just step out and say, excuse me, and make your way out the back door. Father, we pray that you would minister to those men and women and boys and girls who, who are making their way now on all of our campuses. We pray you'd minister life today. And Father, I pray for our church that this week and our Christmas Eve services that we would be very, very, very generous in our investing and inviting. Father, this church has been very, very generous in the last few weeks with thousands of toys for thousands of children. It's been very generous with food and clothing and support for bills that need to be paid and but Father, I, I pray that the generosity this week would spill over into the lives of those that we know who may not have a physical need or may not be evident their need, but they have a spiritual need and they need a relationship with Jesus. May we not let this week pass without inviting and bringing somebody to these services. And we pray in these services this week that men and women and boys and girls will give their life to your son. Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for truth? And let me just say to you, uh, if you're a guest or you need prayer, uh, I'll meet you in that guest reception just out the door on the right. If you filled out a connect card and you didn't get it in the bucket, bring it with you or there's buckets at the back you can drop it in. You are dismissed. We'll see you either the 23rd or the 24th. Have a blessed, blessed day.